On to a new RFM, it's seven past one, and we're going to talk travel next as Sally Lucas joins me, Jane Klein. Today we're talking, as we said, all things Spangly, which is the Star Spangled Banner of the US of A. And I thought rather than talk about cities, which we, we tend to get a lot of info on the cities of America, you know, on news and media, etc., that we talk about um, national parks and the old US Route 66, which was also known as the Will Rogers Highway, which I didn't realise, and it was also called the Mother Road or the Main Street of America. Now, it actually goes from Los Angeles all the way through to Chicago. Um, and it became one of the most famous roads in America, which covers a total of about 3,940 kilometres. And it was, of course, it was recognised in pop culture with a hit song and the Route 66 television show. But it served as a major path for those who migrated west, uh, especially during what they called the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. And it supported the economies of the communities through which that road passed. So people uh, doing business along the route actually became quite prosperous, you know, due to the the growing popularity of the highway. Suddenly you had this road that let people traverse, you know, all that distance. So it was really interesting and it went uh, underwent many um, sort of improvements and realignments over its lifetime. And it was officially removed from the U.S. highway system in uh, 1985. And it was replaced in its entirety by what they call the interstate highway system. But portions of it are still there, and it's called Historic Route 66, which is actually returning to some maps. And you can go online and find the actual historic route and the history of it. So um, the, the roads themselves are probably still there. They're still there. And they said parts. you really need the map if you want to follow the historic route because you might think you're on it, but it's part of the new highway system. So you really need to sort of Google that and have a look. Um, but, yeah, so it apparently was all before the US highway system, but back in 1857, um, a naval officer in the service of the US Army Corps of t- Topographical Engineers was ordered by the War Department to build a government-funded wagon road along the 35th parallel. So this is where it all started from. Um, from this this time as using even camels they did in those days as pack animals in the southwestern desert. So it also became part of Route 66. So it has quite a lot of history attached to it, Jane. And um, it was officially recognised as the birthplace or where it was officially recognised as the birthplace of it was in Springfield, Missouri. And that was in 1926. And that was when it was first proposed that that was the new name of the Chicago to Los Angeles Highway. Um, so there are placards, various points along the route in different states, one to Will Rogers as well. Um, so it's got a very interesting history about it. So if you were thinking of doing some of that, whether it be motorhome, car, on a motorbike, there's so many different ways you can traverse America. It would be an interesting thing to do to follow some of the old Route 66 and just get off the highway, I guess, a bit and explore those byways, which is always a fun thing to do, isn't it? It is, and it's probably a bit like looking at a history of, of the, of the yes, early part of America. It is very much so, and it did have an incredible history when you think about it, and all the people that, of course, made it that came from different parts of the world and have made it such, I guess, a diverse, um, again, like we are, becoming slowly as well, a diverse country of different nationalities. And the other thing I thought would be interesting to mention, Jane, that there's over 84 million acres of national parks in America. So you've got to remember it's not just about cities, of course, and Alaska and California have got the largest number. They've both got eight parks each, national parks in each of those states. So it's quite remarkable when you think about that. And also we all know South Dakota with the famous, you know, sculptures of, of Mount Rushmore. 
Rushmore, of course. Of the, are they presidents? Yes, cut yes. Cut into the cliff. That's right, cut into the cliff. And that goes back quite a way as well. But there's, you go through, these lists are quite remarkable when you start looking at it. And you go onto the website and they give you all sorts of different figures. One of them said actually 400 national parks, but I think that might not be all classified maybe as the, you know, historic proper national parks. But I mean, it's part of their, their natural and cultural heritage. And of course, we're all famous with Yosemite. You know, it's a beautiful national park in California, of course, and Yellowstone, which is famous. You know, the South Dakota is the, the canyon lands, of course. Uh, once you're going into Nevada, Utah, I mean, the Grand Canyon goes without saying, though I don't think I'd want to walk across it like Mr. Wallander did. Um, on a tightrope. <laughs> on a tightrope. And he did have a little bit of a wobble up there for a while. I was a bit concerned with all the family watching. Hmm. Hmm. But anyway, you could, don't have to do that, but you can now go out on this glass extension, of course, which is, I reckon is still Gives you quite, the same feeling. Oh, same feeling. And it's supposed to withstand earthquakes and all sorts of gale force winds and it's very thick glass, but you walk out like you're just suspended over the Grand Canyon. So there's some wonderful things you can do in America. As I said, it doesn't have to be cities, even though everyone seems to want to gravitate to San Francisco or New York on each of the, the, the borders of the coast, should I say, and they are both fantastic cities in their own right. But America has a lot to offer away from the cities. You can just immerse yourself in some beautiful forests and national parks and camp or, as we said, self-drive, potter, do a tour, several different options of how you might like to do it. To NURFM. We are talking travel, Sally Lucas and I, at 20 past one. And Sally, what's up next? What's up next? A we've little bit of... We've been I'm, talking about the sun, haven't we? We have been talking about the sun. And what, why we were talking about the sun, just to let you know, we were trying to decide where the sun hits mainland Australia first. Yes, and there's some controversy over this. A lot of controversy. I said Cape Byron and Jane corrected me, said no, it's Mount Warning. And then we Googled it and we got all sorts of interesting answers from Lord Howe to Norfolk to part of Antarctic and Australia to Tasmania. So it's possibly yeah. Cape Byron or somewhere in that area. In that area. Because we've said we're not going we're to talk about mainland. mainland. Yes, mainland Australia. Islands. And while we were talking about that, we we're talking about other different places in the world where you can experience seeing the first light of day peep over the horizon, those precious moments that it just come with a beautiful sunrise. So you shouldn't always hit that snooze button. You should get up and experience. And winter sunrises and sunsets to me are some of the most beautiful. You get that different colour in the sky and it's quite muted and quite gorgeous. Beautiful light. Beautiful light, it certainly is. And these are just someone's suggestions. You might have your own. You can let us know. But this one is uh, Mount Sinai in Egypt, um, which is be something really different. You get up apparently, you know, sometimes it's feeling the freezing desert temperatures and you climb up in the dark, climbing stairs and rocky outcrops by torchlight. And there you go and see that, which would be wonderful. The Taj Mahal, I'm sure, would be absolutely stunning as well. Uluru, well, I mean, Uluru is gorgeous. And um, again, it, it changes colour so much, depending whether you're there winter or summer. The summer, of course, the rock really has this huge red glow, whereas winter, it's a soft orangey, light, paler orange, of course, because of the sun being in a lower arc in the sky. So you do experience it at different times. And of course, the Olga's is great as well as the Devil's Marbles out there. Okavango Delta in Botswana was another one that said fantastic for photography. You can imagine the Delta there, you know, the water, the stillness, that first light of morning. And if you maybe had a reflection of an animal or a bird or it would be just absolutely stunning. And of course, we mentioned Byron Bay. So whether it be Mount Warning or Byron, um, 
Byron is considered the easternmost point of mainland Australia anyway, and it is a beautiful place, and you could have a nice dip in the ocean as well. And, of course, if you happen to be in Nepal, what a nice way then to wake up and see Everest, hopefully not mm. under cloud but with a beautiful sun spilling over the top of Mount Everest. So there's just some of those beautiful sunrises. Nice. And, yes, nice. I just thought we'd just mention again our, our lovely Qantas Airlines, our own carrier, has squeezed its way back into the top ten hmm. again. Well done, Qantas. Exactly. So it's re-entered the world's top ten, which was announced recently at the um, Paris Air Show this, only in the last week, and it's just slipped into tenth, but at least it's in there. Um, as well as being named the top airline, Emirates received the award for the best middle airline in the Middle East and the world's best in-flight entertainment. Um, the awards are voted on by travellers from more than 160 countries, so it's taken on, you know, people who are actually travelling, um, and that's awarded that way. So, yeah, that, that's really good to know. So we've got Emirates there. The next we've got Qatar Air, another Middle Eastern airline, then Singapore Airlines, um, all Nippon Airways, the Japan airline, Asiana, which is um, Korean airline, Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong, of course, Etihad, which is Abu Dhabi, Garuda Indonesia. Now, that shocked my cotton little socks. Mm. Um, I've surprised me, and to be above quarters, that they must have really lifted their game. I haven't flown with Garuda for a long time. It'd be interesting to hear people's comments on that. Yeah, I um, have heard that they have definitely... They uh, must have, to yes, be in there. Improved yeah. all sorts of all areas. All sorts of areas. Then Turkish Airlines, ninth, and then Qantas. So there you go. The other interesting thing was um, talking about... Who was the biggest airline in the world? Now, I bet you you'll be surprised by this one. I Let could me be wrong. Think. Mm. Mm. And now, they gauge it two ways. IATA, the International Air Transport Association, they get statistics from World Airport Transport Statistics as well. And they take, this was taken over 2012, over a year. And believe it or not, Ryanair, the European charter operator. Low cost. Low cost airline, took nearly 80 million passengers. That's in passengers, and um, Lufthansa next, and then EasyJet, which is another European, you know, um, yes, uh, charter operator. Then Emirates, Air France, British Airways, KLM, United, Air Berlin, and Turkish. Uh, Qantas didn't make it into the top ten internationally for the amount of passengers carried, but they did in domestic, again sliding in just to number ten. So it's quite interesting when you looked at all these. Um, Southwest Airlines, which is the American airline, they with the took the la- the largest amount of um, domestic passengers, nearly 113 million. Wow, it shows you that Americans must travel significantly within their own country. And I suppose when you're in a country with long, long distances, then you would like to fly a lot of the time. That's exactly right, because you don't have that time to, you know, motor like you do when you're on holiday. So obviously the people in America, and Delta came in at second too, so another American airline, you know, came in second. And then they also rank by kilometres flown. Now in kilometres flown internationally, Emirates was on top though. Because, of course, Ryanair doesn't do a lot of long haul. Mm, well, you've got to yes. remember it's mainly short haul. And um, so kilometres flown on Emirates was over 180 million kilometres their mm. airline, their aircraft has flown. So one would hope they're always keeping it serviced and well up to scratch, wouldn't one you, would. when they're flying that many kilometres? <laughs> Um, and then again, it, Qantas just slipped into the total of international and domestic. They did it, and they came in at 10th again there. So they're, they're still up there with the amount of passengers they're carrying. Which is pretty good for a small country. Oh, look, when you think, Jane, I say this to people often, we are still only about the size of Los Angeles in population, 
right? Just put that into perspective. And we've got this massive continent that we all live basically on a coastal fringe and we all expect, and even though we're very anti our government at times, you've got to remember that's, that's all there are of us having to contribute to roads, infrastructure. You know, the, the money is just, you know, we, we don't have the people to keep pulling that money back in. So I think we've got to sort of think a little bit sometimes and realise it can't always be done. Um, and the other interesting one, Jane, help save the planet, insist on flying in economy class. Oh, how does that help save the planet? Well, More that's people, what I, I suppose. Well, that's what I thought. They, these researchers went into it and they found that business class flyers made a carbon footprint about three times the size of their counterparts in economy because it worsened if some of the seats in more ex- expensive classes are also left empty and also there's less seats in those classes anyway. So that, in short, bigger sets meant that fewer people fit into that section of the plane, fewer people result in more fuel being burnt per passenger to propel the aircraft to its destination. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we'll talk travel again next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2 and URFM.